coach, this first start sober sit has to do with free throw stats that matter to you. Start sober sit, your free throw rate as a team, how often you get to the free throw line. The second option is your free throw margin or differential versus the other team. Or the third one is just your free throw percentage. Sit, sit, sit. Okay, <laughs> that's the first. Welcome to Slapping Glass, where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome the head coach of Limoges in France's Pro A division, Massimo Cancellieri. Coach Cancellieri is here today to discuss defensive versatility and identity, the value of non pick and roll offensive actions, and we talk free throw stats plus minus analytics and hiding bad defenders during the always fun start, sub, or sit. For those looking to grow, connect, and explore the game this offseason, you can join coaches and staffs from all levels from over 30 different countries who join the SG Plus community. Learn at your pace by getting access to our unique and ever-expanding video library of almost 500 breakdowns, clinics, Q&A sessions, and our crunch time and inside the set film room sessions with some of the world's top coaches. Find out more at slappingglass.com. And now, please enjoy our conversation with coach Massimo Cancellari. You want to start on the defensive side of the ball. The one I like the most. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I want to talk about defensive versatility, building a team that can switch defenses, zone, man, trap, all those sorts of things that I know you're so great at. And your thoughts on being a versatile defensive team? I've been through different situations in my career as a head coach, but mostly as an assistant coach. So I've seen the medal in this double phase. Okay. It means that on one side, I've learned that when you have a team that is able to play consistently, good defense, man-to-man, you keep doing that. The example is that most of the EuroLeague teams do that because they have sides, boldness, ability, and knowledge and experience throughout the players, and they are able to accomplish this. And the second one that I've seen more is switching because it's a different in this, let's say, historical period of basketball is giving a lot of advantages to the teams, mostly because in the EuroLeague, teams are also on the one-man position or, you know, guard and point guard position. They are able, you know, to find sides and strength. So basically, I would like to be ready to do both. When I coached Ravenna, two years in second division in Italy, one year, never played zone. Never. The whole year. While the second year that I had personnel that was not so great to play one-on-one defense and to be solid, I started to play tactical. Okay, so the, let's say, call it pressure of if what you want to do is this. I mean, what is your team able to do? After you decide that it's better if you start having uh, multiple options on defense, then the first thing is still to create an identity. So in the first part of the preseason and the first part of the championship, I prefer still to find one option, the defense, and create a solid identity of one-on-one and uh, how the players can stick together on defense. And after that, when you see that your team is able to stick to the rules easy, then you start with other kind of defense. I have to say that usually I start with one defense and after 
20 or 30 days, I start with the second. So it's a sort of backup. And these are the two defense usually are, you know, a man-to-man. It can be everything from a show to a drop, ice, whatever. It depends on the team you have. And after switching, usually the defense that I choose, even if I have a very small uh, point guard or somebody that, you know, he cannot do it because you can still teach how to be effective even if with small players. And after that, when at least I have a backup and at least I can adjust during the game if I need, okay, if the thing is not working. And this is basically for the picker because I'm only now talking about the picker. In general, the difference, trapping or not trapping on the low post, or blitzing or not blitzing on one-on-one when somebody plays in isolation is usually a thing that I start doing after understanding a little bit what kind of skills the opponents have, not one team, all the teams. So last year I was not able for some reason, but in the season before uh, with the staff, after we understand more or less what are the signing and the kind of team the others want to build, we still create some big topics for the defense. means that, like in France, if you have a very small point, okay, and very athletic bigs, okay, you have to think of the defense that prevent the collaboration between these two guys. And for the low post as well, if the tendency of the championship opponents is going on the low post consistently, yes, okay, we arrange uh, immediately a prep. While if it's a thing that you will, uh, that the other team develop during the championship, we will adjust during the championship. Same thing for off screens or pressing defense and other kind of. Things. So that's uh, basically the way I approach the process of creating a team defense. I'm a big fan of playing Hollywood. At the same time, if I need, I can play 10. Coach, I'd like to follow up on how you view the collaborations of the opponent or when you look at the league. And if we can kind of hone on the example you gave of if it's a small point guard and an athletic big, what are you weighing or what worries you that you are going to look to take away with your defense? Simply, just to give you the straight example of what happens in this league this year, many teams have point guard that can handle the ball very well. They can shoot and they can have a good collaboration with the roller. And then, a five-man that is able to do exactly what the point guard needs and point guard or guards for. I mean, one of the perimeter needs to be effective in case he cannot shoot. Okay, so he gets the defense on him so that the big man can give him a straight lane to the basket, not be without being too much, you know. And then it's more on the hands of the point. So when I see this, and when we saw this as a staff, we decided to go show. Because the show prevents first the guard, the ball handler has the possibility to create for himself and the others. Because you go aggressive and you try not a trap, but you try to make him work hard and not have space, room. Second, I do believe that the show stops also all the alley oop situations that are very frequent and common because the kind of role is different. So if you show, the ball handler is not able to have a right angle for a alley. So he needs at least one pass, or at least he needs to go by the defender, the one that shows. And after, uh, you know, the alley hoop is disconnected. So this is the one, the example why, if we see the tendency, all the teams has at least this combination. I think that the first thing is, okay, what kind of defense we play? And this is switching defense as well. 
is a good idea to disconnect, you know. And then you have to see if your bigs are able or not to keep two, three dribbles of this small and a tiny points. Coach, in general, you mentioned that if you could, you would just play one defense, but you could play up to 10 if you need to. But then it's, I don't think I know 10. <laughs> sure. I was making it up. So when you decide, though, to go from one to, say, two, three, or four, what goes into your thought process as to why you add? Is it because you have a great defensive team and you think you could continue to have an advantage adding a second or third? Or is it maybe because you're trying to cover potential weaknesses within your defensive team and adding something that helps cover those things? It depends on the team, but uh, I try to make it uh, more general. Uh, first of all, if you have a poor defender, I don't think it doesn't matter if you play zone or man to man. Because if people just swing the ball and attack him, you have the protection, but this guy is attacked. And when you attack somebody, you play five on four every time. So you have to do a kind of zone in which everybody's inside and we risk on a three-point shot, but we are in the pros. This cheating attitude is not allowed. Nobody will forgive you right. if you do <laughs> such a stupid thing. And at the same time, I think that uh, I miss one part. So I basically would like to play with one D doesn't mean that I don't work on other kind of defense, but I use it in a different way. It means that maybe in the fourth quarter, maybe in certain part of the game, you need to change the tempo. You need to change the geometry. You need to break the flow of the opponents. And so you can use for a short period some tactical choices. Okay, I'm using it more game to game. And it depends um, when I use it consistently is because you evaluate a lot of parameters. The parameters can be how the opponents are, are uh, used to attack the zone. If this is a championship in which they play a lot of zone or just a few actions. Okay. So okay, this can be a parameter. The other one is uh, how your team is, the ch- the, the, let's call it the moment of the season in which we are. means that sometimes maybe you've played a lot of games or your team is not in a great shape, doesn't have a big confidence. So maybe you say, okay. You know, we try to do a thing that slows down the tempo, that helps us to have more pass break uh, possibility and things like this. So the reason why you do this should be always very specific and should be always still, you have to attend to basic parameters that then you develop. So one difference, you choose your identity and then you start understand when and if. You've mentioned establishing an identity a couple of times. What are some ways that you try to establish an identity in the first, say, couple weeks of the season on the defensive side? Just simply asking them to play defense every day. I think that on offense, it's too easy to create a flow, mostly when you have good players. Because everybody enjoys offense. <laughs> right. On defense, you have two choices. I think that if you have a solid defender, I don't think on offense you will have such an excellent player. You will have one or two skills, not a complete. If you find a complete one, then I think that you have to push him a lot to play defense. So if you're offensive-minded, you're not defensive-minded, and then there's something in between. So first, you try to recruit, because if you know yourself as a coach, you try to recruit what exactly you need. And sometimes you reduce a little bit the talent, go towards the solidness. Okay? If you cannot do that, you got to start pushing people to do what you want. And I think that the identity of a team is basically made on the defensive end. Okay. Not on the offensive. It is not 
the Bible of basketball. It's just what I've seen. And I, let's say, in, uh, the thing in which I feel more comfortable, I'm uh, more able to make people play defense than uh, attack, uh, you know, with a beautiful system. Coach, following up on sort of the coaching psychology, when you have a talented offensive player that isn't meeting your demands or what you expect from defense, how do you push him? I think every team has it and you have to play that offensive player and he kind of maybe knows, well, you don't have to play him, but he knows he does a lot on offense so he can maybe get away with stuff on defense. So how are you trying to push him to raise his defensive level? Okay, first of all, don't try to talk about psychology with me because I'm <laughs> not uh, very known as a player's coach. So <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know what it means in basketball. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> I think that you have to try to be clear with the player that he's a good offensive player, but that he doesn't like. I think he should like to play some games. I mean, it's basketball. You cannot play basketball only saying an offensive end. That's soccer. And also in modern soccer, also who is an offense has to play defense when there's a counter-attack. You have to be fair with him and speak honestly and say, okay, you know, that's not your best skill, but I need you to be committed. When I see you committed, and that's the second step, all his teammates knows that this guy is not committed on defense. So if you show that you're committed, you will have availability of the team to help you. And I would say very straight that if this guy is giving us in terms of aggressiveness on the basket, but also sharing the ball, so not only being the solo player, in that case, it's easier for me to explain the team. At a certain point, we have to go and help regardless. So the process that we do is first, we have to create a new habit or a different habit, asking him and being not the impossible thing, but a fair thing. So, hey, they want, you're a target for the opponents. So you're a target. You got to be like, if they want to attack you on the low post, you get a front. If you front, you don't make him receive. If they low, I will come to a, that's a typical conversation. So if they are attacking you one-on-one, you got to take, the first two seconds, he doesn't have to be able to attack you one. On the third seconds, maybe I come and blitz the ball. So they will pass and we will be able to protect. So this is the kind of gentleman agreement <laughs> that I would like to find with a player that is more committed on offense and on defense. But I think that uh, it starts from the recruit. Okay, sounds good. First, and after you go, if you see that the player just plays like a Torero, <laughs> So it's not for us. Yeah. yeah. Coach, you've mentioned a couple of times that you have been in your career more attracted to the defensive side of the ball. That's what you're more comfortable teaching and you love it. I'm wondering, has it always been the case or was it something that you kind of grew into loving more? Why have you been so attracted to the defensive side of the ball? I have to be honest, the basketball choice of being more in love with a defense or offense is not the most important thing. I remember my rookie here. And in Meruki here, the only thing that I tried to do was making them play good because easier, because I had no status to ask veterans players or good players that they have to be committed on defense when they've never done it. So I was very focused on offense and tried to be give rules and be tactical on defense. Okay. Then step by step I grew up. And the thing of the defense came. I think it's more natural when you have a status. So when you go to coach a team and you understand that the team follows you, I don't think you can ask, make a big effort. First of all, they have to see that you work hard for them. 
Yes, in this case, it can be psychology side. And they have to know that you give all of yourself. And after, when you ask it, uh, you have to have some status. That's what I believe. It's not only, okay, yeah, I want to play. Because if you go as a rookie and you start, you will never be able to create a team as you want. Uh, you will never be able to have all your, you know, pieces of the domino together in the way you want so that they form a beautiful line. And so you have to adapt. But when you have some status at every level, same, then I think it's easy to ask. That's why it's been a process and it became easier for me because I've been a terrible player and the only thing, and I quit at 20. I'm 6'2", I think, and I was playing the five. <laughs> so you can imagine that the career yeah. as a player was already up before starting. The thing that I remember when I was a player that I was soft and I was not playing deep. So maybe that in you see that at the end I'm a psychologist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe Freud would say that, you know, in my mind, it's a thing that stayed that I tried to remove, but then it came out. And so that's why I think I, play, I love defense. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Coach, kind of tying it all back together. When you get to the part, like you said, after you've kind of established your identity and you want to maybe add a second, third defense, what is, if any, is there a trade-off as far as you only have a limited amount of time? You know, obviously you want to keep your guys fresh and ready for the next game. So if you're going to, work on two having multiple defenses is there a trade-off that as a coach maybe you have to step back on and be willing to i don't know if sacrifice is the right word i don't think it is but be simpler in other areas of the game to do this uh, i've learned in my years in the connection with uh, the nba mostly uh, was they called the dummy defense so i think we work on our identity going live and we start having uh, you know all the rest using a lot of them so we give the rules and we expect with the dummy that they know that the aggressiveness is the first part. So I think that if you have to work with the same amount of time and aggressiveness on all these things, you will fail. It would be impossible. It would be possible to give identity and aggressiveness and at the same time give simple rules on the dummy part so they see exactly what are the possible situations, they know the rules, and after playing it as a part. I usually do the dummy defense for the rules and then i don't know if we play two courts or three courts up and down i call the zone or whatever during this part and i let them go another thing that i've learned from big coaches specifically from the coach that is in the buyer now mm -hmm. andrea and Kerry, that sometimes if you give too many rules you lose aggressive so you give the basic one and then you have to make them play on it and solve the situation sometimes just understanding the game and trying the situation also outside yes. of it. Sometimes if they know how to do it by themselves, respecting those three or four basic rules, I mean, the team accomplished the goal, mostly on the switching tactical zones or just simple zones. You've mentioned a few times about rules and things like that on the defensive side. As you've grown as a coach, do you have more rules on defense or less rules on defense? Or do you just want them to play hard through some simple rules? Like, where do you fall on how many rules you have now? Uh, there are not a lot of rules. It's a pretty basic system. We work, first of all, on understanding, let's say, so-called uh, defensive spacing. So positioning, stance, and movement. Okay, so how to move in short spaces and how to move in long spaces and the close out defense. 
It is basically one yeah. of the, it's still a mystery for me after years <laughs> and years. Uh-huh. Plus, I think it creates more advantages and it's the toughest situation to defend if you're able or not just to make the right read that is pretty simple because close out you have space and that's why it's basically in the beginning of the season the defensive space and the positioning stance and moving without on the ball how to be aggressive on the ball what are the basic rotations okay eventually somebody goes in the paint for a close out mostly on close out not on one because I think if you show that you allow that you're beaten one on one means that you already failed Close out, it can have people beat you. And then what are the basic rotation? And after that, you go into details. So mostly the position of hands, mostly how to, what is the technique to move in the short spaces and long spaces? What is the closeout technique? So how to approach a non-shooter, a good shooter, a terrific shooter. These are less rules. Hey, coaches, we'd like to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, Instat. They have been hands down the biggest resource we've used in generating our content. Their expansive database of over 30,000 players and 7,000 teams gives us the access we need to scout, notice trends, and learn from some of the best coaches in the game today. So join coaches of all levels who are using Instat to better prepare for their opponents, self-scout, and develop their players. By going to instatsport.com slash form and entering the promo code SGPOD, coaches can receive one free month of Instat Scout and 10% off their subscription. That's SGPOD at instatsport.com slash form. Thanks again to Instat for their support. And now back to our conversation. Coach, love to sort of flip sides of the ball with you for a second. And we've been talking about defensive versatility and your philosophy on that. I'd love to know if it's the same or if it's different for you when you're building an offense as far as you'd prefer a simpler offense and adding as you go, or if you'd like to be more complex. And so just basically your philosophy on the offensive side now. Basically, it's simple. I start the season always with a complex system because I like it. I like that, you know, we try to be inside the trace. And in uh, January... I trash everything and I go simple. I don't know why. So I told you, I think I'm better on defense than on offense. Okay. So basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's wallet. But if you ask me, the style is more connected to creating the advantages, not only on the pick and roll. That's why I think that sometimes I was liking a lot, just to give an example, the way that is totally different from NBA, totally different. The way... Yasikevicius was playing with his team in accounts because it was basic but full of options. The players were able to play options and he had options for shooters, for low posts, for back screens, also pick a roll, but they were playing together, sharing the ball and passing. The only problem I've had to replicate this system is that you need good passes. I think that one of the skills that is more underrated when people coach youngsters is passing the ball. So most of the time I try, I try and we make drills also for passing, a passing contest how to do it. But then at the end when the team needs to go I tend to leave more freedom. I would like to play the very few dribbles and a lot of passes and less pick and roll possible. Coach, to follow up on the passing what are the passes that maybe you find yourself working on a lot with your guys that, like you said, that many of the players maybe aren't as comfortable making? 
I think basically players are prepared to play the bigger role and to understand at least the basic basis. And where I found the troubles, I have to be honest, I've always coached, uh, I mean, in um, not in Milano as an assistant because it was high level, so we hadn't that problem at all. And yes, finesse pass, yes, passing the ball. With the other teams, yes, with the level, uh, lower level. So I'm talking mostly about the level I've coached so far. Not only Milano, but also second division or first division, just to, to try not to went down in second. So not excellent players. The passes that they, um, in my career, I found more difficult to teach is to pass when a ball has to go on the low post on where somebody's coming off the screen. These are the passes in which, uh, because it's so important, the timing, not the quality of the pass in itself, but the timing of the pass. And if you're not used to doing you're simply not able to try to teach. It takes time and time. That's why I think I will hope that sooner or later some crazy owner will give me two or three years contract so I will be able to be in the third year, yeah. you know, after teaching and doing to play my dream system. Coach, the timing of passing to shooters or players coming off screens, what is the timing in your opinion? You have to give me all the specific situation and I can tell you. But in general, I can tell you before, what fucks the timing up, usually, is the tendency of the player to watch the place in which you're passing. The pass starts from a bad attitude, a bad habit that comes before the pass. So when you're dribbling or when you have the ball in your hands, if you have the tendency to be a threat, even if you're about to pass, it means that looking inside the pain, having a stance, that is, when I was young, it was called the triple threat, you know? I don't know if they use it anymore. I don't use yeah. it. But still, having a stance in which my defender know, doesn't know what I do helps a lot to pass. And this is a habit that very few players have. And second, they always look where they want to pass too early compared to the moment in which they're supposed to pass. So the defender can anticipate and often slow down the time. And the timing is for the low post, I guess, mostly at high level, when you go on the low post, it will not be easy to go close to the paint. So the low post is becoming more and more a situation that happens just right outside the block. Yeah. And when you go there, you're going to fight a lot. It's body against body. Okay, It doesn't matter if it's guard or bigs. There's a moment for the low post in which who is about to receive the ball has sealed the defender behind him or on the side. So who passes the ball should be able to recognize a little earlier what is going to happen. Because when I seal my man and I call the ball, I have already to receive. When I seal my man, when as soon as I start moving my hand, you have to pass me the ball. Because I cannot seal my man for three seconds unless he's a terrible defender. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. And usually who passes the ball, who is not able to pass the ball, waits. And I'm ready. I give the target and I'm totally sure that I see the target and then I pass the ball. And usually when I pass the ball, the defender has moved. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's why that's uh, on the low post the time. And on the coming off, it has to be being able not to look at your defense, but to look at the defense of your teammate. Because if you can anticipate a little bit what he does in terms of trailing, hiding, or going through the screens, you will be able to anticipate a little bit less. Still looking with the peripheral vision, so don't look in there. So it depends then when the screen is 
because if it is on the side, of course, your stance cannot be, I look there and I pass. I mean, Steve Nash, yes. <laughs> Stockton, yes. John Stockton, I mean. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, your son may be, right, but John <laughs> Coach, swinging back a little bit, offensive versatility and whatnot, you mentioned that you usually start more complex with your offense in the beginning of the year. And I wonder how or if you think that also helps your defense catch up and get farther along. You know, putting in a really complex offense that has a lot of actions, I'm assuming, helps your defense early in the season too. It does, because it's easy. <laughs> yeah. If I start with a pick and roll, it would be a night every day, mostly if you show. I mean, everybody's able to play the pick and roll. So why? Giving the identity of a fighting the screen, or being able to, as you say, not allow the player to go in the place. I think that in NBA, it's a foul. You call it the, the impeding progress, Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, mostly in EuroLeague and European Championship, I think that you can fight more in preventing the action. Okay, so they are not so, they let you play. So this is a thing that you can do. Yeah. You know, and if you have a complex offense, it's easier also for the defense to play defense off the ball than on the ball. Absolutely. Mostly if you have... A, because like this year, I don't have any good ball end or people that attack the basket. So every time we play pick and roll defense, we look good. <laughs> then we go to play. We go to play in the game <laughs> okay. and we suck. <laughs> I try to be complex for multiple reasons. The first one is that I am very honest. Even if you study on the video, the players, or you know some of them, then when you put them together, you really, I don't know. The others are better than me to do it. I'm not so good to understand how to put them together in the beginning. So I create a trace and I create a, some places and then understanding step-by-step step how they stick together, I change. Mm-hmm. It can be more complex or less. That's the thing that I evaluate. And in the beginning, I try to follow a trace because unless you don't see this player playing together for some reason, so you don't get like four players of the same team, or one of my weaknesses is, okay, they play together. I know that he can shoot. So I can, uh, you know, uh, I, this guy can uh, dribble, the other one can roll. Okay, the basic, yes, I am able. But to create a good system on offense, you have to be able also to go into the co- what is the collaboration between two or three players or five players that can be different team by team. So one player is not said that he has to be the same every time. So if you have a player like Mike James, Mike James, you know the way he plays. You can never make a mistake <laughs> because you know that it's a, uh, Pick a role player, isolation. More you're able to create these two things, better you will uh, perform. So you're sure if you make him play the two and you make him do the coming off, right. you are fine. <laughs> right. right. On the same time, with other players, you can try, you know, when you're not sure, you can see what, uh, what you can do. You develop it during the season. Sometimes this year that I had new assistant, you know, and when uh, we get along together better, they were asking me, well, why the hell? You start with some plays and then you don't play them anymore. I don't know. Yeah. But it happens a lot of times. <laughs> so in the beginning, you know, you start with some plays, you believe they're okay, and then you develop and you forget what you... And I'm not scared. I mean, I think I can be considered a bad coach. I just adapt. Coach, you mentioned, you know, maybe not having guards that can really penetrate or play in the pick and roll. But then how do you think about still creating advantages like through posting your guards like if you get bigger guards to play through the post how do you think about non-pick and roll actions to create advantages yeah the low post is the big one we try to work and we try to give a good spacing also different spacing on the low post so that 
it becomes a situation in which the advantage, you know, can be kept during the action. And together with a low post, I have to be honest, I would like also with a creating one-on-one situation or close-out situation off the screens, but you have to have good players to do that and also good passers. So I believe that the low post is a situation in which you can create a lot. Also, just a simple, I remember Kyle Lyons was excellent on this, like getting the ball on the low post, setting up the defender. And so after he's pushing him, so he's trying to play defense, just change direction, sprint and go play the end. That's a situation that, you know, it's a similar to a picker role in which you know that your defender is already separated because you did a good job there. So it's not the low post as in terms of I give you the ball and then you play and you shoot. Yes, if you're able. And then you can give them multiple options to develop the low post play. Coach, do you then also look to using the post for any advantages? And you kind of mentioned it, but using more handoffs instead of going to the pick and roll to kind of create a similar advantage? It still uh, depends on the abilities. You remember that in Europe is very common the play that every coach calls Panulis. No. It starts with a double eye, it starts whatever you want, and then at the end of the story, the five-man has the ball in his hands and the four-man sets a down screen for Spanulis and Spanulis come up. After that, everything is created. Shot, a reject, mostly a reject or a picker. Mm-hmm. But you understand that you have to have Spanulis Yeah, (laughs) but after that also a big man that is smart enough to understand how to manage a situation when to dribble and play the dribble and off how to give the ball to the guard and when he's sometimes he's end off sometimes he's just a pass right behind the end off because he's already separated sometimes he's just a fake end off and I get back to give you the ball so yes I would like to do that I remember also very interesting situation that Obradovic and the Asikevichos were playing with the end of for the shooters, just to let them shoot the ball more than play the pick and roll. I remember one very interesting one was when Kleza was playing Fenerbahce, and they have also Bo McCallum, so another excellent shooter. There was an action that Obradovic was using in which McCallum was using his ability of stressing the defense playing one-on-one, and Kleza was on his left because Kleza was very good to shoot you know, with a left pivot, just closing up, turning on his left shoulder. So he was attacking, and as soon as he created an advantage, immediate step back to go and off with place. And he was shooting a lot of shots, you know, with this very simple situation. For Datome, when he was playing the four with the so-called slot picker roll, the picker roll more or less on the elbow, and also Yasikevicius with Milakis, a lot of situation with down screen and end off. I would like to use this but you have to have good players, mostly players that can play the end of consistent. But yes, I do like the end of. It's a situation that I faced team in my career that play well the end of, and it was way hard to play more than on a picker roll. Coach, this has been really great so far. We want to move to a game that we call start, sub, or sit. And so we're going to give you three different basketball topics, options, and we'll ask you to start one, to sub one, and then to sit one. And then we'll just have a fun little discussion from there. So you have not heard any of these. So whenever you're ready, we'll jump right in. I will try. Okay. <laughs> I hope I'm able. Coach, this first start, sub, or sit has to do with free throw stats that matter to you. Okay. So there's a bunch of different you know free throw stats that you can look at, analytics. So start, sub, or sit, the start being the most important. The first option is your free throw rate. 
as a team, how often you get to the free throw line. The second option is your free throw margin or differential versus the other team. Or the third one is just your free throw percentage, how high a percentage that you shoot from the line, no matter how many you shoot. So start, sober, sit, those three stats. Yeah, sit, sit, sit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, (laughs) that's a first. Yeah, it's simple. Yeah. Because for the free throws, you know before if they have a good percentage or not. You know before if they attack or not. So you, I just put a lot of stress on the free throw during the practice at the end, making goals for the free throws. Okay. So like as a team, 29-30, 30-30. usually we practice half an hour and it takes one and a half hour to shoot free throws. <laughs> I make two hours like this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So no problem sitting all three. I love it. But let's say at a halftime or something, do you as a staff, do you look at the free throws, how many you've taken or anything at all? Do you have any discussion or no? Honestly, no, because the team said that. Because I like to have a team in which not a lot of players have this, you know, slasher. So I don't look at the stats. I know that we shoot less free throws than all the other teams already. I see during the game if we're missing, but what can I do? What can I say? Yeah. I try to solve it during practice. Coach, my follow-up is then, if we stay on kind of looking at stats, is there any stats you will look at to determine the health of your offense overall? Yes, only the plus minus. Okay. Only stuff that the percentages of things okay. And coach, how come that stat is so important to you? Because it evaluates what is the impact of the players in the pin in the minutes he plays. Okay. Then I know how to evaluate it means that if a player plays thirty five minutes and has minus three is normal. But if a player plays 16 minutes and has a minus eight, he has a bad impact. Then before watching it, I try to see in which context you went. Like if I stop the, the, the starting five and I put all the bench players and they go minus five, I, I am stupid. It doesn't count for me. Mm-hmm. But if I mix up pretty well, I mean, all the lineups and I see the impact of a player, you know, during the game. And usually, uh, take a look at that stats because usually it doesn't lie. Okay. You said you look at the lineups, the context. How about, is the minutes, I assume, a big part of that context? If you only played 10 minutes, are you going to weigh that plus or minus any differently than if you played 16 or 20? I usually look at that at halftime. And when I look at that halftime, I have an idea of how I have to make my moves in the last part of the game with the plus that's why that the most important evaluation is there. And then at the end of the game, to prepare who will be the my next target during the practice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey coaches, this segment of Start, Sub, or Sit is brought to you by our friends at Practice Planner Live. Practice Planner Live has combined all the components of effective, efficient, and time-saving practice planning into one easy-to-use platform, saving your most valuable resource as a coach, time. Ditch the Word docs and the scribbled legal pads for a simple point-and-click experience to build your drill directory, collaborate with your staff, and create clean, customized, and shareable practice plans in minutes. With over 75,000 practice plans created at the professional, collegiate, high school, AAU, and youth levels, Practice Planner Live is proven to raise the level of organization and effectiveness of any program. Listeners of the podcast can visit practiceplannerlive.com and register for a free 21-day trial and enter the promo code SGPOD to get 10% off your subscription. Thanks for listening. And now back to our conversation. 
Okay, coach, our next start sub sit for you has to do with scoring off of a made bucket. So you got scored on and now trying to a clap back, sometimes it's called, but scoring in transition after a made bucket. What is the most important factor to having a successful transition offense? The inbounds pass, filling or running the lanes quickly, or your point guard pushing, whether with the dribble or with the pass? For the first one, I would say start with the inbound. Running the lanes is sub, and point guard pushing is sub. Coach, with the inbound and getting a fast inbound, is it predetermined in terms of you designate someone to do the inbound, or is it just closest man under the basket, let's take it out and go, and just emphasizing that? Free throws or a dead ball, you designate. After a basket, the closer one. Usually, we advise the five men not to take it. Okay. Because usually is the one that is more involved than the box out. There's always somebody that is less involved than somebody who's more involved. I think that for a good transition, you got to take it out quick. We played two days ago a game against Le Mans, and there were like a one and a half minute to go. And we scored an important basket with a Harper that just laid it up and fell down. And they came on offense with a, so means after 38 minutes of a big fight. They were able to catch, inbound, and sprint. So I think that, uh, if you watch Le Mans, they interpreted exactly what this should be a fast break after. But they do how, how the inbounds come. And then if you're on the lanes or if you push either or, it's okay. If you just wait, the inbounds count a lot. All the drills that we do for the fast break drills with numbers, we usually force them to take it out. We come in as a habit. So not just I grab the, because sometimes to make him become a conditioning drill, when you do the fast break drill, the ball goes through the hoop, you catch it and you go. No. I mean, better you catch it, you jump off the court, you take it quicker out. Coach, do you care at all where the ball is inbounded to? So you take it out quick. Do you want the guard to get towards the free throw line, towards the sideline? Do you care where they are? Hmm. It's still like this year, I'm having a lot of troubles with this. Because the combination experience is not so hard. I remember like the best after uh, every inbound, I remember Stonerook and McIntyre in the Siena. Maybe, I don't know if you remember it. I'm old, guys. I'm not... Uh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> but they had this unbelievable combination that this guy takes it out. The other one sprints and it's a layer. Other options are if you have a quick point guard, it's doesn't matter where you take it out, but this guy can separate sprinting, go grab the ball and keep going. That's, I think, the preferable thing to do, in my opinion. Then the advice is always not to get the ball too close to the base, more than to the side. Okay, I remember that I worked with the refugee. I was teaching a lot uh, to open up the court with the highs and so to take the outlet uh, back to the sideline so you can see if you can run, sprint, or press. Okay. Coach, our last one here, start, sub, or sit. This has to do with if you've got a bad defender and specifically a bad guard in the pick and roll, someone that doesn't guard the ball well, start, sub, or sit, these three actions that you would do. Just switch it and play through the mismatch, trap it, or play and drop coverage and let the big kind of handle the downhill attack. Okay, switching, no, is because you accept that is it because uh, you accept that uh, this defender that doesn't play defense keeps not playing it. Trap for the reason that I told you in the beginning of this conversation because if he's a poor defender we can cover him with a trap in which he is involved. So 
means, okay, we give you help, but you got to press the ball because the ball handle is not going anywhere because we trap. And the third one is that if you play drop with a poor defender, it's open shot every time. It's better height. Okay. Okay. You should change this uh, for your my fix coach. Okay. <laughs> Just put the eyes. Because it's not too easy to say sit. Coach, working with your guards in general, in this context with a bad guard, it will be important to get him at least over that screen. So how are you working with your guards just to get them over a screen and not get stuck in the screen? You have to protect them. I don't think there are other solutions. You have to protect them. Because if you start working on things that they've never done, that not able to do, it's a fail. You have to adapt. I hope he's a poor defender on the pick and roll and he can do something else on offense or defense. It's very strictly connected to the topic we were talking about in the beginning of this beautiful conversation. It's better, you know, to give him a one thing like, okay, you hear the call of the defense, so you hear that the pick and roll is coming. What I ask you is no reject. Uh-huh. Yeah. So this is enough to send the player inside and the trap, and then we trap or show whatever. You said trap, so yes. I would prefer to do this and give him one assignment. Just one. If it's reject, it's you. You foul and you get fouled up because we cannot play defense if you are a total poor defender. Coach, you did say you prefer or you like ice. Could you maybe elaborate then if we had ice in there, why you prefer, why you like that coverage? It's because of the, of the story of the reject. Yeah. So you help this guy first not to have a lot of reject because he forces the ball on one side. And I say side, not to the basket. Second, because on the ice, you still can be aggressive. You can uh, put the big man higher on the level of the screen, okay? And simply because on the drop, because you just asked me how you can make him fight. I mean, if you have a, a defender that doesn't fight the screen and you put the defender too far on the drop position, I mean, then it's tough. I think that with a good screen, it will never be able, it, there will be always a separation. While with the highs, there will be a separation that you can make at least reducing the room of it. You open up the room on the weak side. That's true. Okay. More than on the drop. I think that the disaster that can happen if somebody doesn't fight the screen on the drop, I think that the drop defense is very effective when you have a bulk and a tough guard to play defense on the big drop. So it's exactly the opposite. That's why I said ice. At least ice, we reduce the room. It's still a short, but it's a better one. I would say sub. And that's it. On the high. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. Well, coach, you're off the start sub or sit hot seat. Thank you for playing that game with us. You were great. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, at least. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, coach, we've got one more question for you before we end. But before we do, thank you very much for your time today. This was a lot of fun for us. We appreciate you coming on. It's honestly a very interesting conversation. It's been a, an interesting conversation. I didn't expect this. Congratulations. Thank you very much, coach. I like it. You can do it one more time. <laughs> we'll do one on psychology next time, the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I will yeah. not talk. Yeah. Okay. Well, coach, thank you for that. Our last question for you, and it's one that we ask all the guests at the end of the show. What's one of the best investments that you've made in your career as a coach? <laughs> I think that the best investment I did is deciding to become a coach. Because from what I see from my career is, I mean, I'm satisfied. I didn't become a Euroleague coach, but in, when I was 20 and I started to, I, and I 
gave up my college university, you know, to start this career. Everybody was saying, you, you must be crazy. And I, I made of my passion a job and I still do my job with passion. So I think that the, the investment was in the beginning, like eating one time per day to be a coach. Yeah. So it's more a matter of saving money more than investing something. <laughs> yeah. That's the main one. Because on the rest, I think I've been very lucky in my life as a coach. I found when I was about to sink with my ship, I found the help every time. So I consider myself very lucky. I'm Dan Krikorian. And I'm Patrick Carney. And we appreciate you listening to this episode of the Slapping Glass podcast. Please make sure to visit slappingglass.com for much more information on the SG Plus membership, our free newsletter, and much more. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass. Do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like slapping backboard. <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs> slapping glass. That's kind of funny. I like that. Let's roll. <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs>